We interact with God's Word this morning. We'll be looking at some of 1 Peter chapter 2. We live in a culture that has many, many freedoms. We enjoy our many freedoms. But within freedoms, we have to learn to live well in a culture that creates tension for us as believers. For example, respecting authority in an anti-authority society. Honoring God sexually in a culture of do your own thing. Fearing God in our look out for self mentality, society. Living in dependency upon others in a culture of individualism. Being considerate of how your life impacts your family, your church, your community, in our, our society of it's my own business and not yours. Peter is writing to God's elect who were living as aliens and strangers in their culture. They were experiencing some persecution due to living holy lives in their culture. Peter instructs them how to live good lives. As believers in Christ living in a 21st century America, we desire to live good lives for God's glory. As we consider the historical setting and some other things in relation to 1 Peter and how it applies to our culture today, we want to mature in living as aliens and strangers. This world is not our home. We're passing through, but living for God's glory. Let's read together 1 Peter 2, beginning with verse 13. 1 Peter 2 and verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as a supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish man. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God, honor the king. Slaves, submit yourself to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to those who, to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd 
and overseer of your souls. Again, Peter is writing to those who are going through persecution. And the persecution was not coming from the government. It may come from family, it may come from a neighbor, it may come from an slave owner, or it may come from a fellow slave. And he is emphasizing throughout Peter their identity. He emphasizes that they're God's elect. They have a new birth into living hope. They're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging unto God. Identity strongly determines how we live, how they lived. And he is teaching them how to live well in a foreign culture that is foreign because they had a heavenly calling. And last week we discussed verses 13 through 16 where he talks about submitting to civil authority instituted among men. And even in doing that, we can silence the talk of foolish men just by doing good, living as free men, living as free in Christ. Then in verse 17, he says, show proper respect to everyone. And apparently involved in showing proper respect to everyone is Loving the brotherhood of believers, fearing God, and honoring the king. But in daily life, living as an alien, a stranger, Peter is saying to his hearers, and I think it would involve today, to show proper respect. To estimate someone's worth, their honor, and to treat graciously whether it be for them someone in a position of authority, whether it be a parent, whether it be a mate, or whether it be the owner, that is, their owner if they were a slave, or an owner treating a slave with proper respect. In that culture, the people were not, the believers were not to despise Others, they were not to hate them, even though they may have been persecuted, they may have been ill-treated, someone may be of lower rank, they were still to treat them with reverence, with respect. Show respect to others, if we think about our culture today, in spite of race, may have come from another country, may have a different view sexually. Someone may be taken to court because of a cake deal. In a culture, Peter says, show proper respect. And then he says, love the brotherhood of believers. In chapter 1 and verse 22, he also said, now that you purified yourself by obeying the truth, So that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. Respect for people involves loving them, caring for them. And the love that he is talking about here is God's style of love, if you please, agape. Love the brotherhood of believers. Someone's going through persecution, love them. Someone going through a difficulty, love them. Someone loses their property because of their faith in Christ, love them. 
And then he also says, fear God. That was talked about in chapter 1 in verse 17, where he says, live here as strangers in reverent fear. Fear of God delivers from fear of people. Fear of God delivers from fear of people. Persecution, rejection from family members, a fellow slave or another owner or a neighbor. Peter says, fear God. And what does it mean to fear God? The idea of fear is amazement, astonishment, trembling, terror. All of those words are involved in fear. And in light of the context of 1 Peter, here's my definition of fearing God. The amazement that one was elected by God experienced the sanctifying work of the Spirit, sprinkling by Christ's blood, grace and peace in abundance, the new birth, a living hope, anticipating an inheritance that will not perish, spoil, or fade, enjoy a salvation when Christ is revealed, having an impartial judge, and experiencing grace in the midst of trials. Why wouldn't one be astonished that a sinner can be on the receiving end of these items, thus holy living in amazement and astonishment of God's grace? We don't move away from God. We move toward him in response to his grace with an amazement. Wow. I remember about a year and a half ago, maybe a little over a year and a half, due to a situation that Ruth Ann and I were going through, met with a couple that we have known for many years, uh, not from our church, but had lunch with them and then chatted a while afterward, and they handed me an envelope. Stuck it in my pocket, and I thought I'll look at it when I get home. And Ruth and I get home, and I opened the envelope, and there was a check in there for $1,000. And that was in relation to a particular need. I was amazed. Why would someone do that? As Peter is writing, he is writing to people who apparently understood that they were in sin. They were separated from a relationship with God. And they come into a relationship with God. They're elected by God. They're sanctified by the work of the Spirit. They're sprinkled by Christ's blood. They have grace and peace and abundance. They experience the new birth. They have a living hope. They anticipate an inheritance that won't perish, spoil, or fade away. They enjoy a salvation that is going to be revealed in the future. They have an impartial judge. And they have grace and trials. Wow. Fear God. I think that's where Peter is coming from in light of the context of chapter 1 and chapter 2. 
You find that same type of fear is talked about in Romans 13, 1 Corinthians 2, 2 Corinthians 6, Ephesians 5, Philippians 2, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7, 1 Peter 3, 8 through 25, Hebrews 12, 14 through 29. Fear God. And then he says, at the end of verse 17, honor the king. Honor is the same word as, Greek word as respect. Peter, I think, is saying, excuse me, Christians should outdo everyone in honoring civil authority. Outdo everyone in honoring civil authority. Now, Peter talks about civil authority in verses 13 through 17. In verses 18 through chapter 3 and verse 7, he moves into slaves, to wives, and to husbands. And I think it's important that if we're going to understand this passage of Scripture, chapter 2, 18 through 3, 7, that we understand some background information. If we don't understand the background information, we probably will not understand the text and we end up misapplying the text of Scripture. Now, to illustrate the importance of background information, some of you have been to a doctor and maybe you've had surgery and they generally will want to know your medical history. If they don't want to know that, maybe you better go elsewhere because you're probably in trouble. You know, what surgeries have you had? You know, we want to do some blood work. What have your parents gone through? You know, what other family members have gone through? They want to know background so that they respond correctly with their treatment. In the culture to which Peter is writing, the household was understood to be the foundational unit of civilization. Slave, wife, husband. The influence of suspect religions on the family was closely observed. So Christianity comes into that culture. Christianity is going to be observed. What is Christianity doing to the household? How is it influencing the slave? How is it influencing wives? How is it influencing husbands? The slave in that day, as Peter writes, becomes a paradigm for Christians and how to live and how to respond. So Peter's concern, as it relates to the gospel, should be expressed in the Christian household in such a way as not to provide unnecessary accusation of Christianity. The household is central. Peter wants them to live in a way that will not cause undue accusation directed at Christianity. Again, that is very, very critical because if there's going to be an orderly 
culture, the household had to be in place. And if a new religion came in and destroyed that, you affect the entire culture. Yet the gospel of Jesus Christ was subversive to the culture, the social order of that day. That was just a reality. It affected culture. So there were household codes for how a slave was to respond, how a wife was to respond, and how a husband was to respond. The cornerstone of Peter's teaching is the example of Jesus Christ and how slaves are to respond. And he brings that out in verse 21. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So the culture, order of the household, which they believed to be divinely ordained, was the basis for a strong, orderly, and prosperous society. This resulted in household codes for how people were to live and how they were to respond. The emperor's well-being was dependent upon strong household codes. And whether we realize it or not, we have household codes, we have national codes today that we tend to live by, which influence, again, how we live and how we respond. In that day, there was a general belief that each person in the household had a place under man's authority. The child, the woman, and the slave were each to submit in different ways to man's authority and are not to aspire to a role of another type. The acceptance of one's station is foundational to right household management, which demands, in the first place, familiarity with the severe of one's actions. In other words, behaving in a manner that is acceptable to your role. Greek moral philosophy understood each person's position in life as divinely mandated, and the wise person faithfully performed their duties in the area in which they were to live. So religions introduced into the empire by foreigners were judged in large part by whether or not they complied with the expectations for the household Relationships. Judaism would have been acceptable, acceptable. But in contrast to Judaism, the Egyptian Isis cult was viewed as a threat to the Roman way of life because it permitted women to have authority over her husband. Therefore, the household codes of the New Testament had a strong apologetic value because if what 
Paul or Peter is writing undermine the household code, then Christianity would have been held as being suspicious. Slaves and wives were not normally given commands. They were not directly addressed. Now think about that. Slaves were not normally given commands. They were not directly addressed. The context of 1 Peter indicates that he is commanding slaves. He is commanding wives. Unlike the Greek writers, Peter directly addresses both slaves and wives, assuming that they had a moral responsibility for their own behavior that exceeds the social expectations of that day. He is actually lifting slaves and wives to a different level. Slaves were not addressed as free moral agents as we find in the New Testament. In Greek writings, wives, like slaves, received instructions through their husband because both the slave and the wife are thought to be deficient, though not in the same way. Aristotle understands a slave to be incapable of deliberate thinking, while the wife has capability but not the same as authority over her, her husband. Thus it is proper to direct all instruction through the man who has the capability and authority to reason fully. Moreover, the instruction of the wife should be the object of the husband's care. Peter says, slaves submit. Wives in the same way be submissive. And he says to husbands, be considerate of your wives. Subversive to the culture that way, because slaves received instruction through a master, a wife through her husband, and here Peter addresses them directly. A slave was expected to worship his or her master's God, and a wife must worship her husband's God. Now think about the conflict that that causes in a culture. A slave comes to faith in Christ. And his or her master doesn't come to faith in Christ. They're expected to worship their master's God. A wife expected to follow her husband's God comes to faith in Christ. That creates some difficulty. It is estimated that almost one quarter of the empire's population were slaves. So that the role was significant, was significant to the social and economic stability. The slaves' loyalty to the master's gods assured economic stability. In particular, any religion that advocated equality of any kind between slaves and masters would be met with swift and certain opposition. Wives similarly were expected to follow 
her husband's religion. One writer says, and I quote, a wife ought not to make friends of her own, but to enjoy her husband's friends in common with him. The gods are the first and most important friends. Wherefore, it is becoming for a wife to worship and to know only the gods that her husband believes in and to shut the front door tight upon any or all queer rituals and outlandish superstitions. End of quote. We read this portion of scripture. And Peter says, slaves, submit to your masters. Wives in the same way. Husbands in the same way. Read it from a cultural setting that we have been discussing. He's saying, slaves, you have the ability to think. You have the ability to reason. You are morally responsible for your response. He's saying to wives, you have the ability to think, the ability to reason. And I'm giving you a command. And he's saying to husbands, your slaves and your wives can think and reason. And I'm giving you a command as far as how you are to be responsive. You're to be considerate of your wives and live with them according to knowledge. Again, that makes a difference in how we understand the text and I think how we apply it in our culture today. See, both Peter and Paul, in Paul's writings, teach that the new life in Christ is to be lived out within a cultural setting. A cultural setting in which one lives. In Colossians 3, there seems to be Paul addressing some false teaching. Here in First Peter, he seems to be saying, there's an apologetic. Live in such a way that your life creates questions. Eunice, why have you lived with this guy named Joe in the way that you have for the last 50 plus years? Tell me what makes you different. Lee, you live with grace. You're her husband. And you treat her as an heir of the gracious gift of life. Why do you do that way? Because other people in our culture don't do that. Neil, you work for Danny with a good attitude. You don't seem to whine and complain. Why do you do that? That's where Peter seems to be coming from, living such good lives that it creates questions for how you live and how you respond. The idea about God, which guides all of life, went beyond the culture of that day. That ultimately, the way we live and the way we Respond in that day and today is to be found in Christ. Now I want you to think about the culture of Peter's day. He says, slaves obey. We don't have slaves today. We have husbands, we have wives. But think about some of the cultural things today. 
some of the household codes. More and more we have become a culture where everyone has their own phone, their own TV, and there's no need to share. We live in a more and more an individualistic culture. It's my business and mine alone. But yet Peter says, live as a body. But to enjoy her husband's friends and come in with him. The gods are the first and most important friends. Wherefore, it is becoming for a wife to worship and to know only the gods that her husband believes in and to shut the front door tight upon any or all queer rituals and outlandish superstitions. End of quote. We read this portion of scripture. And Peter says, slaves, submit to your masters. Wives in the same way. Husbands, in the same way. Read it from a cultural setting that we have been discussing. He's saying, slaves, you have the ability to think. You have the ability to reason. You are morally responsible for your response. He's saying to wives, you have the ability to think, the ability to reason. And I'm giving you a command. And he's saying to husbands, you're slaves. And your wives can think and reason. And I'm giving you a command as far as how you are to be responsive. You're to be considerate of your wives and live with them according to knowledge. Again, that makes a difference in how we understand the text and I think how we apply it in our culture today. See, both Peter and Paul, in Paul's writings, teach that the new life in Christ is to be lived out within a cultural setting, a cultural setting in which one lives. In Colossians 3, there seems to be Paul addressing some false teaching. Here in First Peter, he seems to be saying, there's an apologetic. Live in such a way that your life creates questions. Eunice, Why have you lived with this guy named Joe in the way that you have for the last 50 plus years? Tell me what makes you different. Lee, you live with grace. You're her husband and you treat her as an heir of the gracious gift of life. Why do you do that way? Because other people in our culture don't do that. Neil, you work for Danny with a good attitude. You don't seem to whine and complain. Why do you do that? That's where Peter seems to be coming from, living such good lives that it creates questions for how you live and how you respond. The idea about God which guides all of life, went beyond the culture of that day. That ultimately, the way we live and the way we respond in that day and today is to be found in Christ.
Now, I want you to think about the culture of Peter's day. He says, slaves obey. We don't have slaves today. We have husbands, we have wives. But think about some of the cultural things today. Some of the household codes. More and more, we have become a culture where everyone has their own phone, their own TV, and there's no need to share. We live in a more and more an individualistic culture. It's my business and mine alone. But yet Peter says, live as a body. We live more and more in a culture that is very relative. Depending on the situation as to how you respond and what's true and what's not true. What do you do with what God has said? We live in a culture that everyone has rights. Parents have rights. Children have rights. Wives have rights. Employees have rights. How do you live in that culture when Peter says, we're to respect everyone? When Peter says, slaves, even if you take a beating for doing right, accept it. We live in a culture that emphasizes women's rights. How do we live in light of the fact that Peter says, wives be submissive? We live in a culture that would say submission is viewed as being weak. But yet Peter emphasizes submit to civil authority. How do we live in that culture? We live in a culture that tells us suffering for any reason is terrible. Get me out of it. But yet Peter says, to this you were called because Christ suffered you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. You should suffer. And I'm not out to answer all, answer all of those questions this morning. But understanding the cultural context is important. Cultural context that Peter was writing. And then understanding the cultural context in which we live today. And next week we will look into the context of slaves submitting to masters. Realizing we don't have slavery today. But what does it look like in that day? But living in submission to Christ as aliens and strangers in our culture today. Christ is central in Peter's day. Christ is central today. We want to participate in communion in a few moments as we partake of communion, reflect on what Peter has said. The sanctifying work of the Spirit, the sprinkling of the blood of Christ, a new birth, a living hope, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, all of that tying in with Christ. In communion, we reflect back on Christ, his trial, his crucifixion, his resurrection. We reflect back on the fact that through the cross, we have forgiveness of sin. We come into a relationship with God. But we also reflect on the present in the sense that we need daily cleansing 
We have relationships within the body. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 to examine yourself before you partake of communion. You know, where are you at in relationship with other believers who are members of the body of Christ? Don't merely think of the cross as past. Think of the cross as as present. If Christ were not in our lives, he were not our life. How would we live and how would we respond? But also think of communion as future. When we're with God, when we're with Christ, we have relationships and we're free from the bondage which we now experience. Communion, open to those who have come to faith in Christ. And again, as we partake of the bread and we partake of the cup, reflect past, reflect present, reflect future. Ask the men to come forward, please.